Love you, Marco. Uh, more impressions, please. <laughs> I like your stuff. It's much more spicy and interesting. Where the hell did that come from? Uh, I love you, Marco. Oh, my God. You're a great interviewer, a great conversationalist. I just never forgot you. <laughs> <laughs> Babble Bullshit and Beyond is a new podcast hosted by me, Marco Kiris. A man coming out of the shadows after a long decade working with Nicolas Cage, or as I like to call it, my cage wage world. Just some fluff and then some stuff on the party that unites us through pop and all things Hollywood. Today on the show, we've got Vincent Wolfe, an old friend and like myself, a native to Toronto. Vince is a jazz swing crooner who has toured all around the globe performing on cruise ships in New York City and as a local in Toronto with the George Lake Band. He has countless fun-filled stories of his times on cruise ships and encounters with showbiz divas during his travels. So Vince, thank you for coming on up Babble Bullshit and Beyond. How are you? I'm good. It's good to see you. <laughs> it's great to see you. Yeah, for real. Except I would have... Listen, next time you're going to come here and we are going to have um, a little martini action. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> um, how are you? I'm good. I, I just got back uh, from two months on Cunard on the Queen Victoria. Uh, uh-huh. And we were mostly in Hecarway, France, uh, Scotland, um, Ireland, which is uh, Dublin's my new favorite city. And mm. Liverpool was fabulous. And then I just got back uh, June the 1st, and then I got really sick. <laughs> so <laughs> I had the cold, the cold from hell for like eight days, but I'm feeling better. Thank you. You look fine. You don't sound it so much. No, I've been gargling with Drano. Okay, good. Drano's always good. It's better than comment. Make sure it's nice and blue. No, no, I've been take, taking care of myself and trying to feel better, you know. Good. It's a shitty time, basically, to be indoors because it's so lovely outside. But it was cold when you first got here. So It was nasty. Yeah, it was nicer yeah. in Europe. Yeah. Yeah, lucky you that you were in Europe. You were in Europe. It was humid in England, and then we got, I got back to Toronto, and it was, like, cold. Yeah. So I thought, what's wrong with this picture? So anyway, it's, it's better now. Yeah, it is much better now. It's just beautiful out today. Let me ask you, Vet. Now, you've been on this Viking, is it called Cunard? Yeah, Cunard. Is, it's, a, it's a British company. It's now owned by a P&O, Princess and Orient. It's, uh, it's the actual ship that, was, that built the Titanic. So they've been around wow. oh, hundreds of years as, as a cruise ship company. Isn't that something? So anytime you see an old movie, it's really funny to watch like an old Astaire Rogers movie or an old musical and someone's going on a ship. You'll always see a Cunard sign somewhere on the set. It's really neat. So it's one of the oldest lines in the world. Wow! And this is not your first uh, singing gig on one of these on on this uh, cruise ship, is that right? No, I started with them quite by accident uh, in 2009. Oh wow! I was uh, just doing nightclubs around and you know things like that locally and and doing backup vocalist stuff with some divas in the states. And I went to a dinner party and there was a piano player there and he asked me to sing a couple of tunes and I sang like a Frank Sinatra tune and I sang a Billy Joel song. And he said, you're really, really good. Um, why don't I, you know, you should be on a ship. And I said, yeah, right. So he gave me his agent's number and they called me and they said, how'd you like to sing on the Queen Mary? And I said, you're kidding me, right? So that was the start of it all back in 2009. And then I've been doing it on and off ever since. On, the, on that particular ship, on oh, the well, cruise line. Queen Mary first, then Victoria. Last year I did the Queen Elizabeth, which is the newest one, beautiful. And then back on the Queen Victoria. And I'm, I'm going back again July the 9th, I think. The, uh, yeah, this really? next, next month for another two months. What? And then I'm back. <laughs> You're kidding. So all, are these all based in England? Most of the time they fly me into England. Sometimes they'll fly me into Barcelona or another. It depends on, I'm splitting a contract with another singer. So it depends on mm. when he's getting off 
and when's good for me to get on. But usually it's based out of Southampton, England. Wow. I don't know. I think it sounds really exciting. And there's probably thousands of envious singers who would love to do that. I mean, to be in Europe yeah. in the spring and the summertime, I mean, yeah. it's it's Europe. You do. If, if you're smart and you plan your set list and you plan your time well, you can get off and be off the ship for like, you know, maybe four or five hours. And mm -hmm. uh, that's not like really nearly enough if you're in Rome or something. But um, and don't get lost in Venice like I did. <laughs> <laughs> it's so easy to get lost. Um, but I usually go with a group of people, it's singers and dancers or other musicians. And uh, you do get a chance to get off if you're clever. And some days are just, you know, you're too busy with rehearsals or drills or whatever. You just don't get a chance to get off. But normally you do. So that's nice. Hmm. That's that's the perk. Wow. And when you are on these cruise ships, do you do two sets a night, three sets, one set? Or does it vary? Oh, my gosh. It varies. But depends on the entertainment director. Uh, if they mm -hmm. love you, then they'll work you to death. So, for instance, on a regular time, I would do three sets a night, starting at 9.30. I'd be brought on stage, and the band would do a warm-up of 20 minutes. I would come out and do, uh, like, 35 minutes, and I'd do that three times a night. Hmm. Some nights, they want you to do the welcome aboard show, which means you have to go to rehearsal right after the... This is when passengers are getting on, so you, there, has mm -hmm. to be, there has to be a drill, so you have to make sure I do the, I do the stewardess thing. I, do the, uh, I show them how to put a life jacket on have my hat on it's really fun <laughs> to the exits it's really fun we have to have lots of safety training lots of it so they'll kill me on those days they'll ask you to do a sail away as the boat sailing away sing it a sail away do the welcome aboard huh. then uh, then do the regular queen's room set so some nights you're just it's like bonkers wow but mostly it's 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 okay and does it feel like kind of you know we all look back to the 1970s and love boat do you have any of those thoughts or feelings do you feel like the, the musical captain at times yeah, there's. I feel like um, the way people talk to me, come up to me, and, and say that what they liked and all that kind of stuff, and they enjoyed my singing. And if, it's so much fun because a lot of them are older, and they. I don't mm -hmm. think you'll remember who this is, but do you know who you sound like? And I'll go, ah, and they'll say Mel Torre, <laughs> and I'll say, yes, I've heard that before. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> I get that a lot. Michael Bublé, I, yeah. I get that a lot. Um, I get uh, not so much Sinatra. Um, Another singer from England, they say I sound a lot like, I can't remember his name now, but... Tom Jones? I feel like, you know, I do some of his tunes. Um, I feel like a musical ambassador. Mm -hmm. uh, but no, I don't feel like a captain at all, because the captain's the captain, and he's, he can sometimes be very strict. Uh, mm -hmm. Same with the Commodore, where you don't want to mess with those guys. I see. And how about accommodations? I mean, I always have this feeling that you're kind of claustrophobic. You have a single bed, almost like a cot in these small rooms. I'm guessing all of the musicians or entertainers have just a small room enough to breathe, little bathroom, cute little vanity area. And then the rest of the time you're you're on board and you're you're doing your thing. Well, let's put it this way. Well, you've been in so many, many dressing rooms, right? Trailers, dressing rooms. Yes. It's smaller. It's probably smaller than a small trailer. No. So... Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, there's, there's bunk beds. I have a desk. I have a television. I have a DVD player. I have a wardrobe and a bathroom, and that's it. And not much room except to change, really. And I don't have to share my cabin, but there's guys that have to share those cabins. Oh, my God. So I would go berserk. Um, the Queen Mary yeah. was the best. Queen Mary was the best because I had my very own big room towards the back of the ship where all the major Ds were and the concierge people and stuff. So I had like a much, with a window. Mm -hmm. Victoria and the Elizabeth don't have windows. So you get really disoriented about what time it is in the daytime sometimes. If you take a nap, sometimes you'll go, okay, it's five o'clock. Is it five in the morning or five in the evening? <laughs> and you, you have to put the TV on or actually walk upstairs 
to see what it's like out because that's confusing to me. Yeah, it's like a it's, a, it's like a Vegas hotel room. You don't know if it's day or night. Oh my god! But Vegas. It's fun to have the cabin parties. I've I've managed to cram in oh fifteen to twenty people into my cabin. <laughs> so so uh, that's always fun. But uh, wow. you make fun where you where you where you make where you get it. You know. Yeah, but that's I mean that's great. You 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 meet a lot of people. You have some musical friends. How are the um, the patrons? Do you find them basically very jovial because they're on vacation, or are they fairly jaded? How does it feel <laughs> to to interact with the uh, with the uh, clients? Uh, uh, they have an older uh, um, clientele. Clientele in their seventies, sixties, seventies, eighties, but sometimes younger people come on and they have a lot of fun. Mostly they're in a good mood. Some of the older people can be cranky, mm-hmm. but mostly they're, mostly they're nice to me because I'm, I'm entertaining them. But I say it's a real mix. Mostly they're in good moods, mostly. Sometimes they're okay. confused, especially when the cruise starts because they don't know where they're going. So half the time I feel like I'm cruise guy telling them where point A and point B is and uh, that's kind of helpful. Yeah. So uh, sometimes I feel like Julie, the cruise director with a little clipboard. <laughs> I was going to get to that, but I'm glad you said it. the clipboard, that's me. <laughs> Vince, when you are on there, do you work seven nights a week? Is it five nights a week? It's usually six. I Usually they try to give me one night off a cruise, so it depends on the length of the cruise. Again, it depends on the cruise director that's on, and if they mm-hmm. don't think I'm working enough or the band's working enough, they'll schedule tea dances in the afternoon from hmm. 3.30 to 5.30, uh, or they'll schedule a special jazz concert. So they have their ways of, if they don't think you're working hard enough, and usually if I have a night off, they'll figure out something else extra for me to do. Wow. So so, so they basically they, own you. They sure do. They do. And you, you have to have at least, I mean, I'm, they can only work me up to seven hours a day. And I, you have to have the rest of the time off. You have to have a, like a long, at least 12 hour rest, mm-hmm. you know, between things. Um, the musicians, I think, work harder than I do. I mean, those poor guys, they play extra sets that I'm not even singing on. So, uh, but it is fun. It's fun to go in the theater and work. And it's fun to, it's just fun to meet people and do the production I'm, shows. I'm so envious. You'd, you'd find it. I want to go. Well, you should, you should come on as a guest sometime. You, you'd you find it if you were singing or working or whatever, you'd find it, it would, it's a job. Sure. It becomes a job and you, it feels like it's a job after a while. After a couple of months, you're ready to come home. And so a couple of months, of course, is you're confined to this cruise ship. On your time off, does you roam around the ship? Do you hang up by the pool? Is there a pool? Oh, not allowed. Uh, not allowed. Really? That's all I'm, you know, are are you kind of like, you know, not seen and not heard when you're off? I'm allowed because I'm one of the singers and I think myself and the production cast, we're allowed to be up and around with the passengers and mix with them, but we have to mm-hmm. be dressed dressed at all times with the badge on and all that stuff. And But there's certain, like, we can't swim in the passenger pool. Um, there is a deck just for crew, which is, I think, deck four forward, and that has a small, <laughs> little, tiny pool. And that's for crew. But funnily enough, it's right under where the captain can see everything. So you have to, <laughs> you can't do much. <laughs> yeah. So uh, best behavior. That's right. You have to be anyway. I mean, it's just what yeah. jobs where you're going to get fired if you, if you behave badly. So yeah, I mean, it is that way. I mean, I, I remember working on film sets and you talk about two months. You work between three and six months on a film set and the hours are between 12 and 15 hours a day. I can and, imagine. Uh, and your lunch is 30 minutes in that time frame. And and then you have to travel to and from your hotel. And it's it's grueling. It's not at least fun and musical and, you know, it's, uh, you know. I don't it's, know how you did it. I mean, I've, I've done extra work 
many, many times in little bit mm -hmm. parts here and there. And even that was a real drag, just sitting around waiting and waiting. A drag, terrible. For them to say action. And, and so I know that you've done years and years of that. So that you well, I did years and years of, I, I had a lot of patience, but I worked, basically I was, I was really Nick Cage's stand-in. So as, as him, you're actually on as him for 12 hours a day. Uh, there is no time. They would light you as him, right? Yeah, 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 the entire time. So if you're on at 5.30 in the morning, you're on at 5.30 in the morning. You're in hair, makeup, wardrobe at 5.30 in the morning. Well. <laughs> bags, the, uh, you could never cover the amount of bags. I, I, and I get that surgery around my eyes, but but I can't wait to have it. Um, it's, you you work so many hours, you sleep so little, you know, and you're in all these ridiculous locations on mountains and in deserts and by the ocean. And it's just, it's exhausting, but- Yeah, cause this stuff was all action movies, so. Yeah, a lot of them were, and you're going through all the motions, you know, the rehearsals, kind of like an understudy on Broadway. You're going through the dialogue, the rehearsals, you're rehearsing with uh, with the other actors, you're rehearsing with the camera, you're rehearsing with the director, you're rehearsing with the cinematographer, but there was never any downtime as, as much as people think that there's downtime yeah you work for a superstar and everything is about him whether the shot is on him around him over his shoulder off-camera dialogue it's all about him photo doubling could take a whole day insert shots it's all him so it's, it's actually me doing all that stuff it's a lot of work and so there was never really any time to say oh my god i'm sitting around for six hours the only time you sat around for six hours is if there was a, a massive stunt blow up scene right and uh and you had the stunt guy setting it up but you're still on the side because they may need you for insert shots to photograph how did they uh, uh, how did he treat you how was he he was very polite he was believe it or not a very gentle man very quiet man and a very respectful man uh nice. not only to me but to everybody and he doesn't come across as that person as a public persona from what I understand from people but when you're around him and there's an entourage of 12 of us everybody's treated with respect everybody has a job and everybody has to be the best of the best of the best yeah but you do work endlessly and you never really have any time off so when you have a day off you actually sleep and do your laundry yeah and catch up on bills and you do nothing else well more 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 stardom on your end but but the work ethos is the same they're you're getting paid yes. to do a job you can have some fun it's it's not always that way, uh, but you, first and foremost, it's a job, right? And yeah. You got to look as good as you can and do as good as you can, and for you, it would be uh, just endlessly being in front of a camera or knowing a script or whatever. And for me, it would be knowing all my lyrics and just you know delivering. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> but it's good though, because it's what you wanted to do. It's funny because I remember you wanting to be the singer when we were kids. I still want to be the singer. Okay. I, 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 I'm, I'm a closet case crooner. I just want you to know that. I've always been that guy. I wanted to say that. You sing to me. I've I, actually, remember. I remember. I actually sing pretty well. I'm not obviously on your level, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good for an amateur. I kind of see myself as a uh, amateur fake Seth McFarland. Well, then we'll have to get you singing with my big band and see how that goes. Uh, I actually would love it. So uh, falling into the movie business, Vince, uh, you know, I was an actor, your typical two-bit actor who never really succeeded like, like most actor types. And uh, I fell into this through an audition over 25 years ago. And I, I took the job because I needed the money. Yeah. Basically, I sound like little boy blue, but the bottom line is I needed the fucking money. Good but money. there was money. The money was because you worked for what I call cage wage. And uh, because you worked for him, you were the above the line. But I've always wanted to be a singer. I wanted to be a crooner more than anything. I wanted to be in Vegas and on cruise ships. I remember and that. I'm so, yes, it's so true. And I, you know, I don't sing in the shower anymore. I kind of like, you know, sing to my to my neighbors. But no, I don't. But 
Um, well, I'm, I gotta I'm, hear you. It's been a long time. Yeah, you will. And we'll have fun playing with it, you know. And I love hearing you. And a couple of times I wanted to come and see you at the Rex uh, on Queen West. It's a great room. It's it's amazing. It's a little bit crowded when they squeeze a 21-piece big band in there. Yeah. But we have um, we used to play a place called the 744. That closed down. When I came back, I was supposed to sing at the Scarborough Civic Center with George Lake Big Band. I couldn't because mm. of my throat. But I'm, I'm their main singer. And we do have a show coming up at a place called The Duke Live. And that is, oh God, I think it's on Don Mills. I could be wrong, or maybe it's down on Eastern. I don't know. It's called The Duke Live, and we're there on the 25th, which is a Monday, and I think we're there from 7.30 to 10.30. That's all I know. That's my plug. So, okay. Vincent Wolf and the George Lake Big Band. But people can see that on my website. So maybe you'll come down one time and sing with us. Well, I don't know about singing, but let me just, let, let me let me come and visit a few times before I could even think about that. But it's it's really I want to see you and do that stuff. I mean, I've seen the videos and stuff, and they're charming and they're fun, and it really brings you back to those days. And yes, you do remind me of Mel Torme so much so that we pre-introduced you on the website a month ago as a as a, as a Mel Torme modern type, oh. uh, and and I saw Mel Torme in concert at Carnegie Hall about twenty oh. years ago. He was in his 80s just before he died. Uh, he was amazing just to see that living legend. And and you're kind of like a younger version of that guy. Just um, natural. You know, just I didn't study him. Uh, I do remember my parents playing all kinds of music, Motown, but they did play Mel Torme. They played all the crooners and stuff. And I remember being attracted to that sound, but I, I don't think I ever tried to imitate him. And I certainly forgot about him over the years. I, when people ask me, especially younger singers, what singers they should listen to, I tell them, Fred Astaire and Doris Day, because they <laughs> they sang completely on pitch and they never got a word wrong. You know, because everyone always imitates Ella Fitzgerald and Frank Sinatra. That's the ones that get imitated. And I tell younger singers, don't, don't imitate people. Just listen to those singers. But um, here's a funny Mel Torme story. I know Bing Crosby's grandson, Philip Crosby Jr. He was in the audience at one of my my first show in New York City was 2008, and I was doing a cabaret show, and this guy came in, good-looking guy, and he was a bit bombed. And he said, um, I'm Phil Crosby Jr., you know, my, you know who my grandfather was? And I said, not Bing Crosby. He goes, yeah, you know who that is? I said, yes, of course. He said, well, I'm Phil Crosby Jr.'s son. I said, yeah, I know who that is. He said, you sound a lot like Mel Torme. And I said, oh, thanks, thanks a lot. He goes, in fact, you know what? I know both, he has uh, three, Mel Torme has three kids. Uh, both sons sing. I think there's James Torme and Steve March Torme. And they both sing. Well, he starts to call them on his cell phone. He calls. He calls James Tormey and he goes, hey, listen, I'm in New York City. I'm with a singer named Vincent Wolf, and he sounds way better and way more like your dad than you do. And I'm like, what are you talking? Don't do that. <laughs> I was like, hi, hi, James. Hi, I'm a big fan. So he's like, I said, they're going to kill me next time these guys see me. And they go, sight unseen. He said, well, I wanted to tell them, but you're really good. I said, leave it there. Leave it at that. Don't tell them I'm better than them or their dad. That's bad, bad, bad. <laughs> so that was quite funny. No one ever believes me, but that's true. Bing Crosby's grandson. Wow, but that always happens in New York. You get you, you meet the freakiest people in the freakiest areas. I live there, as you know, and I ran into a bunch of stuff. The last day I was, I just have to say this because I know you're gonna love this one. Talk about a, a female crooner on on the likes of where you're at. I had already seen her in concert. I'm sure that she remembered me. I saw her at Birdland, and I did you ever perform at Birdland? A number of times. Yeah, there's some videos on YouTube. Yeah. Oh my God, I love that place. That Jim Caruso hosts. He's a wonderful yeah, I've, host. I've done that show like five or six times. Billy oh Stritch God. on the piano. Oh my God. Yeah. Is it mad brilliant or what? Yes, Billy yes, Stritch. yes, yes. 
what I couldn't have. I mean, I've met him several times because of it. And he's uh, Liza Minnelli's pianist, is he not? Yeah, the nice thing is the last time Liza came to Toronto, I had dinner with them. And it was really surreal, like, because he was there and he remembered me. And there was a group of 12, some makeup people, some production people. And they said, hey, Vince. He said, come on, you you know, you've met Liza. Come and have dinner with us. And I was like, that was insane. <laughs> I was like, okay, pinch, pinch, pinch. So that was probably my biggest celebrity encounter in Toronto. Who's, anyway, who's the singer? No, wait, wait, wait. I'm going to tell you about the singer, but I need to hear about the Liza story because if there's one celebrity I have not met and I've met everybody because of my Cage Wage world, I've never met Liza Minnelli. I've seen her three times in concert. Tell me about Liza. So, well, when we saw her, it was post-show, right? And of course, she's in her 60s now. She was very sweet. She was mm -hmm. sort of comical, a bit Lucille Ball-like. She was smoking. We had a private room in the back of um, Il Fornello on King Street. Oh. And uh, she took, and of course all the waiters were beside themselves. They were told not to come in with posters, but they all had pictures and posters. And so <laughs> she was told she wasn't allowed to smoke, but she lit a cigarette anyway and looked around. She had like a beret on and sunglasses and she was a big sort of Carnaby Street coat. And she lights this, <laughs> lights this cigarette and then inhales it and then puts the cigarette under the table. And the head waiter comes in and he goes, uh, something, Miss Minnelli, oh, I love, loved you forever. And um, um, is everything okay? Is the room good? Is it, is it too hot, too cold? Do you need anything? And she goes, and this big smoke comes out. <laughs> really Lucy ask. It was so funny. And he's like, you're not really supposed to smoke in here, but I won't tell. Thanks. You know. Um, Thanks. <laughs> But it's so perfect. Do you know, follow her on Facebook. She's hysterical on Manelli Monday through um, Feinstein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She says, my father's name is Vincent. You know, she loved that I was called Vincent. So um, I said, for you, it's I'll a great it imitation. What a great, you've got her right up to her age of 70. <laughs> but um, she's a darling lady. And uh, before we, we all left, she just, um, I just took her hand. I said, Liza, just for a second. And she's shorter than me. So she was looking up at me with these, big gorgeous brown eyes and there's just so much history in those eyes oh my god mm -hmm. and uh, she just was looking at me kind of and I said I just want to tell you how much you've meant to me over the years and just um, I love you like that and she just squeezed my hand thanks Vincent <laughs> so <laughs> my father's name was Vincent I said I know you told me <laughs> but anyway she was, she was she was sweet really sweet but I can imagine what she must have been like in her partying days oh my god wow yeah I. she must have been a trip yeah we only know through tv and <laughs> magazines but just the fact that you got to meet her i mean i i got to see lorna left twice in concert also at birdland She's and a great singer fantastic and at 54 below and that's where i saw you know in maryland may and things that i'd never really discovered until i went to new york and i went there to be a little more um cultured in that era of what you already are vince of things that i've always wanted to do but i i couldn't do because i was working too much and i yeah. took a two-year hiatus and i rented a beautiful condo at central park and I went out five nights a week and I did all these things that I'd never really believed I could do or afford and, and, and I was very fortunate to be able to afford it all. And I did all of it. And one of the many, aside from, uh, oh my God, what was uh, the one that I was gonna talk to you about, I'm gonna mention her, her name was Linda Lavin. Oh my so God, I love I, her, Alice. <laughs> Alice, so I didn't know that Linda Lavin was a, was a, was a Broadway star years ago before Alice, the yeah, TV singer, show. A singer, yeah. And she talked about her story. Now people like myself, we are the norm and we don't know, you would know, but because you're in that business. And uh, I'd seen her twice, so I saw her Birdland, I saw her 54 Below. And then my last day in New York, I'm running down to the Verizon store to, to bring back all my Verizon equipment and blah, 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 because I had to leave the very next day at a moving truck. And it was, you know, July, the 
end of July and it was, you know, 872 degrees and I couldn't get a cab. So I took the subway with big bags of my Verizon, you know, the, the, all the equipment <laughs> and I had to get to the West Village and it was the middle of the day. And I just thought, and I was, you know, in, in white pants and white shirt and I was sweating. Everything was like packed up to go and so forth. I was leaving the condo. It was like, you know, Chow was pulling a Zsa Gabor and I'm dying Who in the subway. I, almost Linda Lavin. Oh, no. and, um, so I get on the subway. It's fairly busy for, for midday, a little, you know, <laughs> early afternoon. And I'm standing there, but I'm still looking kind of Euro trashy, very tan with this whole, you know, black bouffant that I've got going on. And she's <laughs> sitting across where I'm holding on to the pole and she could f visibly see the anger frustration with these big shopping bags. And she and she's with her musical director. Uh, and he's sitting next to her and then there was another seat with a couple of bags that she had on and you know I didn't pay any attention to her she's like would you like to sit down and I looked over I was like oh yeah thank you so much ma'am didn't even look at her face and she pulls the bags and I sit down with my bags she says you look like you're very flustered I said yeah I'm just really tired I've got a bunch of stuff going on but thank you it's very sweet you know kind of like half looking at her and half not and she's like, well, she says, you know, you'll be fine. It's just another day in New York City. And she said something to that effect. And, you know, don't be too hot in here. It'll be fine. Where are you getting off? And I told her I'm getting off at West 4th Street. And I said, you? She says, I'm getting off on 14th Street. And I'm looking at them just barely. And uh, I didn't want to, like, stare at this old woman's face and, and the guy who was next to her. And, uh, and so they get up on uh, 14th Street and I'm just in this whole flustered kind of state of mind sitting there thinking I'm in a hurry how am I going to get back and finish packing and get ready for the morning and she gets up with the guy and they look back and she says have a nice day enjoy it and I stare at her and I'm like Linda Lavin <laughs> and she I knew that she remembered me from the two shows that I went I have a photograph of her I asked her if I could have a photograph with you and blah blah twice and she said yes, and we had a little bit of a communique going on at the time. And I think that she totally remembered me, and I never even once really looked at her when she was sitting on my left until she said goodbye and she stood up and walked up the uh, subway. <laughs> Is that too funny? It, it's, it's, she, she's like that, she can blend it. I'm so glad she's working on that funny show now too. God, she's playing that guy's mother, the two boys. It's, it's a really crazy Jewish show. Um, Elliot Gold, and she's the mom. Have you seen it? It's really good. No, um, no. Anyway, she's on primetime, which is great, and she's she's uh, guesting on another show. She was in the audience the s second time I sang at Birdland, and she actually, oh. because Alex Ryback, the guy, uh, my, my piano player when I'm there, is a friend of hers, she came up with Alex after I finished, and she made the, she made the um, you know, the effort to come over. She, Vincent, I just want to <laughs> tell you, I really liked your song. I want to tell you that. You, if you're not a singer, you should be a singer. I said, I am a singer. I said, and oh my God, you're Linda Lavin. Oh my God, <laughs> <laughs> the new girl in town. She laughed and she said, no, she goes, keep singing, keep singing, kiddo. So I said, thank you. That means a lot. That was a few years back. So she's she's good people. She is. She's she's absolutely lovely. And uh, I found out that uh, she lived on uh, Central Park South by 7th Avenue. And so she has three condos in a particular building that I actually put an offer in and next door to her unit. Oh, cool. I thought that was interesting. You're right though, New York, it's one of those places you can go out every single night of the week and something really fun will happen.
And pe- people go out. They go out. They pay money. All night, all day and all night, even in the direct up winter, right across the street from me, Vince, where I lived at 6th and 55th, directly across the street was a building called uh, the Carnegie House. And lo and behold, who I would see on the corner of 57th and 6th walking around like, do you not notice me? Do you not notice me? Look who I am. Jackie Mason. <laughs> <laughs> Jackie Mason lives in that building. Are you talking about Carnegie Muse? That building? That's the building Phyllis Hyman used to live in. I was there a lot. Carnegie Muse. No, no, no. Carnegie House is a condo tower, very similar to where I lived. Uh, in typical 1960s building, right on 6th Avenue and 56th. It's it's a white brick building. Okay, I know where that is. Yeah, yeah, because this is the Carnegie House. It's, I, I know the Carnegie Muse, and this is the Carnegie House. It's a standard 1960s kind of building. Anyway, he lives there with his wife, and I would see him on the corner picking up groceries. He's like four foot two, with the with the with the curly hair, and it's still dyed red. And he's got to be eighty five. And oh. I bumped into him walking to and from Lincoln Center, you know, in the winters with his wife. So it's just how funny is that? Let me ask you a question, Vince. When did you decide to become this crooner? Good question. Because um, I had started off in kind of doing um, commercial work and extra work, and I didn't really think that much of being a singer. I really wanted to be a dancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then through that work, I met a couple of cabaret people back in the, well, I'm not going to say what year it was, but I started doing little spots in cabarets here and there and found that I was okay, you know, and people were encouraging. Those people aren't really singing anymore. But uh, through that, doing some jingle work, and then I finally met one of my idols, who you must remember, Phyllis Hyman. Yes, love her. And uh, I met her in Buffalo. She brought me backstage, and we got talking, and she heard a demo of mine. She was very supportive. I met her a few times after that, before I was on the road with her, and she said, you know, you have a lot of jazz in your voice. That's what you should focus on, because I was having a lot of trouble. I was recording with different groups, and it was like pop, mm-hmm. dance, whatever. No one knew how to place me, and they said, you have a lot of jazz in your voice. You've got this smoky voice, and um, she said, she actually said, get your ass together, get a trio together, and just get out there and work. Work, 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 work. Doesn't matter where hmm. you're singing, just sing and you know what you get better that's how you get good that's how you're going to become a better singer so i did that for a few years and then she took me on the road with her and then through her i got to meet some other jazz ladies like jean karn and mickey howard and then just kind of evolved from there and then i got to be known as the jazz singer at, at the time so i started doing concerts and festivals in toronto and in all over the place that's before the ships came along mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then um and then i took i did about three albums and then i took some time off because you know as you know this business it's a roller coaster. Yes. And uh, sometimes it can be really awful. And so it was a bad time. My mom was really sick. I had really bad management. So in 2002, I just quit. I quit for four years, three years, and just said, I've had it. I've had it. I'm not going to do it anymore. I came back in 2005 because a singer friend said that, you know, you should really keep singing. Your mom would have wanted you to keep singing. And I, I missed it. And it was, um, I went and auditioned for this. Uh, Yale University was having this thing called a cabaret intensive. It was like a, a month-long conference where they would put performers with like real seasoned professionals and make you hone your skills. And that's how I got my New York connection. So I auditioned and I became huh. one of 35 people from across the world that got in. Wow. And that's that's where I worked with like Julie Wilson, who became one of my best friends. And, and Wow, was, that diva? Yeah, she was marvelous. Oh my God. Wow. We became best friends and she was my biggest supporter. She's the one that got me back into performing. I used to go stay at her condo. Her son, by the way, is Holt McCallany, that, that really great actor um, who does all those action movies. He's on. He was on something in effects last year, but he's a tall, tall, good looking guy. He's her son. So I've become friends with him through her and she passed away a couple years ago at 90. Yeah. 
90, uh, God bless her. But it was so much fun. I used to go to the Mac Awards with her and I would be her date. And I would show up <laughs> and I'd stay at her apartment and it was like a dream come true. And I knew all about her How movies. lucky are you? Talk about a life. She used to work with Desi Arnaz in the 1940s at the Copacabana and she'd hang out with Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. <laughs> she had great stories. She got all dressed up and she still had a great figure, great face. She had a gardenia in her hair. and I got the limousine waiting downstairs and I've got her by the, you know, the arm and... I said to her, we're almost at the limo. And it's, I think it was the 2008 Mac Awards. And she said, uh, I said, you look beautiful tonight, Julia. I have the best looking date. She goes, I look like an old whore, but thank you. <laughs> that was the kind of lady she was because I'm just an old broad. But my God, just sitting at the same table with her and all the people that just came to pay homage and just talk to her and touch her and, and mm-hmm. just, you know what I mean? Like watching that kind of a stardom in front of you. So I always be grateful for that and that getting me back into the business again and getting my confidence back and, and uh, the mojo, the whole thing, you know? Isn't that something to be able to go and spend that much time in New York City and to be with such a great? Oh yeah, people like that. There was people from the Manhattan Transfer. There was comedians, there was songwriters. It was mm-hmm. really intense, but you really had to do it or, or shut up or get out. <laughs> you know, and there's people yeah. who were kicked out because they, they just couldn't deliver. So I think it was a, a, the best thing I ever did. It doesn't happen anywhere. The guy that initiated the program sadly passed away a couple of years ago. So there is no more Cabaret Conference. So I'm glad I was there while it was happening. Hmm. You lived through a special time. Through that, I made lots of connections in New York and was able to then book shows. And um, the funny thing is, you know, I can pick up the phone and book a show in New York City far easier than I can make a deal here in Toronto. Well, you know what? There's probably different factors for that, though, Vince. In New York has, it, it is the capital of, of, uh, of jazz to begin with. There are so many clubs and places from, from the Blue Note and Birdland and 54 Below that they need people like you there all the time. There's so many venues to go to, whereas here there's only a handful. True. And uh, and that's why it makes it fairly difficult. And and the audience here is not that receptive to that music today here. Whereas in New York, they go there to seek that music. I'm surprised you're not living there, to tell you the truth, especially in what you do. I wish. Yeah. Well, who knows? It's still a possibility. The good thing I can say about doing the big band stuff is people do seek that out. They do come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have huge crowds for big band music. Um, and that sort of fortifies my jazz uh, gigs, which are mostly now, I would say they're mostly charity gigs, um, uh, a lot of corporate, which pays very well. So I don't care. I'm not proud. I don't do a yeah. lot of public, but the big band stuff, you know, like we do the jazz festival and like young people come out to dance and hmm. stuff. So we'll play um, Dover Courthouse, downtown mm. Toronto, and it'll just be jammed with young people swing dancing. It's like huh. a phenomenon, you know? So that keeps my name in the, in the, in the thing. The gentleman who does the jazz program, on Jazz FM, Glenn Woodcock has been a very good supporter of mine. So, uh, you know, I'm still out there, but more selective what I do mm-hmm. here now. And I perform more out of the country. Well, I mean, and, and that's okay too. I mean, and now you're going to go back and do the uh, a two-month tour again on the uh, on the cruise ship. Is that right? That's, that's right. And then I'm coming back and I'm just going to relax for a little bit. <laughs> Why don't you uh, think about booking yourself for the fall in New York and do like a, a month straight? I've been asked several times. There's a club there called the Triad. Uh, no, sorry, the Triad. Yeah, the Triad Theater. Yeah, they've asked me to come back. The Metropolitan <laughs> Room, the guys that used to run the Metropolitan Room, they've asked me to come back a number of times. So yes, I will. I will uh, I will do that for sure and maybe even do something out in LA because I have friends out there and mm-hmm. um, a little bit of a fan base. I wonder how that'll work. I mean, yeah, you can't really stay at home. There's people yeah. that do, and they become like, there's a guy that plays the Reservoir Lounge, and he's played there every Thursday since it opened how many years ago, 20 years ago? 
Yeah. And he never really branched out from that. He's brilliant. He's great. But he never branched out. He never, I would have like been out of there doing festivals and tours and, but mm-hmm. he just, he's happy to just stay there and be the house band. I guess that's also a good gig. It is. It's a good gig because a lot of people are very complacent. Again, many people have families. They don't want, they were, they're musicians, they're resident musicians in a place and True. they don't want to be running around and doing these things. People like yourself or like myself have much more of a free spirit and we're, we're kind of on our own so we can actually pick up and go for two months. Like I would, you know, I fly to LA for a month or two or I go to Florida for a month or, you know, I have that freedom to pick up and go as you do. So to go to New York and perform and stay in a cool little uh, apartment, Vince, for yourself and, and do, you know, seven different gigs over a three week period is, is, is kind of neat. That's doable. I could do that. You want, I'm yeah. going to make, I'm going to get you <laughs> as my agent. It's such a lonely life. <laughs> I don't see why you wouldn't do it. You know what I mean? I mean, right. you're working and you're booked up in these cruise ships and so forth. Like, why not? I mean, that can be part of the horizon. And as we are of this, what I'm going to say, this middle-aged zone that we are in, you know, there's but another, still but still, <laughs> and fabulous. Listen, we're still holding and, and now we're, we have a different mindset. Yeah. <laughs> the mindset is how do we keep it? Up and versus sagging. That's our mindset. That includes the hairdo. This is all elastic. Do you have enough spray in this thing? It's, it couldn't look how pumped up it is. You think it was on camera? Um, <laughs> You're gonna maybe die here. I'm gonna start coughing. Um, Lucille Ball used to have to. Oh my God! Her daughter told me Lucy when she was doing the Lucy show. She oh my have, God! She couldn't have a facelift because she had like really um, fine skin. So she used yeah. to. They put a pull her hair back and they'd pull like a skull bandage on uh, her head and then they'd rip hunks of hair through the skull bandage and do like really tight pin curls and pull uh, her face up with that and then put these tapes under the side of her ears that would dry and then it would pull the side of her face up and then she put the wig on over uh, that's why she was like that you're <laughs> kidding that's no. hysterical and i have a friend who's since passed away but he was one of lucy's best friends and there was a circle of uh, mostly gay guys that traveled with her and uh they were on um, a flight flying to see her daughter Lucy Arnaz, who's who's a friend of mine, and mm-hmm. uh, I've worked with her. And uh, <laughs> apparently, Lucy got really drunk, and half of the tape came down. So they said, <laughs> you look like Betty Davis. You look at his joke. Just what the hell's wrong with you? Half of her face is down. <laughs> half of it was up. She was quite quite abroad as well. Lucille Ball was. So yeah, got, what got a to legend. Meet her once. Got to meet her once, and that was the thrill of my life. Meeting really? Her, when did you meeting meet? Ella? Meeting uh, Ginger Rogers. Um, and of course, Liza. Um, hello. Oh my God! That's just about as gay as it gets, really. <laughs> yeah, you're missing Cher. I would love to meet Cher. I would too. Never met her. Never met her. But you met Lucille Ball. Yes, I did. Uh, a year before she died. Yeah. No. She was. She was everything you think. Cantankerous, but really funny. And uh, she liked to laugh. She liked to be made to laugh. So, if you got her laughing, she loved you. Wow. Did you meet her in LA or did you meet her here in I Toronto? Met her, I met her in New York. Um, oh. I met her. They were, her daughter, Lucy, and some friends were taking her out to Mother's Day brunch. Uh, could have been 87 or 86. Now, I could be wrong. I'm really dating myself. And I was quite young, as were you. And my John, who I was with, didn't tell me that we were going with Lucy Ball. I knew Lucy Arnaz and some well-known New York people were coming, but I did not know... And so the limousine pulled up in front of Lucille Ball because she had a uh, her and her husband had a condo in New York City, um, and we pulled up in front of this condo. And the limousine's kind of dark, you know. There's uh, four or five of us in it, and then the door opens and in sticks Lucy. Hi, with the cigarette and the sunglasses. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god, 
And I was just like, it's just, what's wrong with him? So she sat down next to me, hi, I'm Lucy, who are you? So I was like, could barely talk, you know? And then she said, don't be so nervous. Smacked my knee, you know? And the, she didn't take her sunglasses off, though. She goes, is my cigarette bothering you? I said, no, not at all, please. Miss Ball, no, <laughs> like this. Of Call me Lucy. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we had a, quite a lunch, and she got quite smashed on martinis. Oh, my God. She had vodka martinis, and she would rip open, like, five sweet and lows, dump them in the martini, and stir them with her finger. No. And she took one swig. <laughs> and she, she took one swig. She made me sit beside her because she thought I was funny. And I was, like, so young and just dumbstruck. And uh, she took a swig of the martini and made that Lucy face. You know, the yeah. face. And then she, <laughs> she leaned over to me with her, with her hand. She went, these are the worst goddamn martinis I've ever had. Like this, and I was just falling apart laughing. What's so funny? <laughs> and then uh, it was the beginning of video, right? So I, I told her I was collecting some of her movies on video. There weren't very many that were out. There was mm -hmm. a few MGM musicals when she was a movie star. And I told her I had an extra copy of Best Foot Forward. And I said, mm. if you if you like, I could send that to you. She actually plays herself in that movie. And uh, huh. she, she said really loudly at the table, what the hell would I want that for? <laughs> <laughs> so you never knew what was going to come out of her mouth. She was great. She was just terrific. I just wanted to be in her pocket forever. Oh, my God, Vince. I'm so jealous. Now I want to be in your pocket, being in her pocket. I want to just hang out. I mean, those are fantastic stories. I, I had met Lucy Arnaz um, when she played the Carlisle Room a few years back. And uh, she was ugh, understatement. This woman put six foot three, six foot five and legs to match. So she was up there with the piano and she would do these high kicks and sing. And I was standing by the bar at the Carlisle Hotel and watching this woman just she was phenomenal she played a bunch of cuban tunes as well and during this these sets she would stare at me i couldn't i didn't know that she could actually see me the very back uh and i'm just standing up there and i'm just you know applauding like anybody else but my eyes were popping out the way you saw lucy i saw lucy arnaz mm. and uh after the show she comes directly beelines to me and I she says it. you are lovely you remind me of my father i knew Desi. you were gonna say that <laughs> I that I said, oh my God, thank you so much. I said, it's such an honor to meet you. She was very sweet, said a couple of other words, and then she went out to greet her other guests. I almost died. Oh, bad. Do you believe that? Oh, phenomenal. I knew, so I, I knew I she was going to say that to you. That's yeah. funny. I knew that's what you were going to tell me. That's yeah. so funny. Yeah, she looks a lot like her dad. She does. Yeah, she's, that hair. She's, she's still killing it. Now, she's got a new show up that she just finished rehearsing. It's called I Got, I got the Gig or I Got the Job. And it's just her and a mm -hmm. piano. And it's all the songs from her, her showbiz career over the years, um, hmm. from like uh, from playing our song uh, to uh, Rotten Scoundrels, all the shows in between. So I can't. Wow. I'm gonna hopefully catch that. I hope she'll she'll tour with it. But if not, I gotta get to New York just for that. Yeah, I I mean she does New York, L.A., and Palm Springs usually. Yeah, she lives in um, Palm Springs now. She she's given up her New York residence, and now she just lives with her husband in Palm Springs. All the kids are gone now. They're all you know married, living on their mm -hmm. own. So just her and, and Larry. Wow, very interesting. So Vince, I want to ask you, you are just going to be chilling. So all these years you've been playing with these bands, touring on ships for almost a decade now. Yeah. Do you do you think you're going to be continuing on these ships for maybe another decade? No, no, no. Because if you spend too much time on the ships, you you uh, people forget who you are on land. It's really, mm -hmm. I'm really, I'm doing it for the money. You make a lot of fans. I mean, I've got a lot of people mm -hmm. on social media that follow me now because of that from all over the world. 
Uh, so that can't be a bad thing. But no, you need to make sure you still involve yourself in projects on land. Like your idea for New York is a great idea. And I'm going to do that because you don't want to get too complacent because there's a funny joke Joan Rivers used to tell about a comic that thought he had it made because he did really well on cruise ships and he went running to his agent and said, I'm a hit on the Pacific Princess and I'm ready for Vegas. And his agent said, yeah, as soon as it floats. <laughs> so you have to be careful because the big wigs on land don't really, it almost doesn't count. It's hard to say, it yeah. certainly does count as performing. But uh, I wouldn't be able to say book Carnegie Hall on the strength of cruise ship work. You'd have to be real good on land. So you have to be careful that you maintain your, your land career. Yeah. But at, at this point in my life, uh, I'll, I'll do a little bit more of it. I may have to s switch cruise lines because the Cunard might be switching their uh, way of doing things, and they may not want the old Cunard mm -hmm. stuff anymore. They may want to com com compete with uh, the bigger, younger uh, lines. But that's not their forte. That's not their, their age group. So I don't quite know what's going on. This change is going on. Yeah, that but that's, that's in everything, all industries and ships and everything else. Control. You have to just so change with them. Yeah, show up and you sing. just do what you have to do. Yeah. And what, what doesn't really change are the amount of uh, venues that you can actually sing in New York City. And if anything, there are more now than there were events even a decade ago. So that's a good calling to be in New York City as often. I mean, you can fly out there three, four times a year and oh, enjoy gosh. it. And they love Canadians and, they, and you mm -hmm. just by virtue of being from Toronto, you're exotic. We're, we're here, yeah. not. We're here, I'm just a guy from Toronto. Yeah. So anytime you go out of town, you're always a bit more exotic. It's always a good selling point, right? It is. And you're going to bump into everybody in New York, and that's always the fun part. I mean, you'll go in as a guest just to hang out and listen to somebody at the Carlisle Hotel, for example, at Rita Wilson or someone, and then you'll see a bunch of people you already know, and then say, why don't you come on up and do a set? And it becomes a real community kind of performance. So much more than it is here, yeah. Yes, because they live for that. Here, it's a gig. There, it's a lifestyle. Right. It's it's very much like that. Very welcoming, uh, very warm. Always to me, they have been. So I, it's you're right. It's something I can't ignore. And it's been bothering me for two years now to come back. So I really should just get there. Yeah, because they're going to forget about you then. You got to. No, like I hope it. not. <laughs> well, that's why you got to like it. Respond. I uh, probably it's you're good. right because I'm back. Oh, go September, so a fall show would be good there. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. I will. Thanks for the push. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm gonna push you again when I see you. When you, well, first of all, I'm gonna see you here before you go away. Okay. So Vince, um, that's about all the time we have. I'm gonna kind of conclude the podcast. Well, how much fun has this been? It it has been fun. It's been a good little hour and uh, and kind of catching up and hearing where you're at and where you kind of started from and and your fun stories. I could hear those stories all day and I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna take you off for martinis because I want more stories. Okay. You get free martinis if you indulge yourself in stories. Okay, that's the, okay. that is not a bad deal at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On that note, okay. great talking to you. <laughs> Me too, okay. thank you Vince. Ciao. Okay honey, ciao, right. ciao. This concludes today's podcast with jazz swing crooner Vincent Wolf. You can find his music on YouTube or at www.vincentwolf.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Marco Kira signing off. Long as I'm singing.